Welcome, everybody. This is the U.S. Grace Force Podcast. Good to have you with us. I'm Doug Barry, along with my always very good friend, Father Richard Heilman. And as you can see, our special guest, our first episode of 2023, Father Ripperger, is with us again. And we're, we're excited to talk about the problems in the church. <laughs> Pretty broad category. Yeah. yeah, and I get excited about that, but you know, it is what it is. So it's good to have you with us again, Father. All right, but of course, everything, as we all know, needs to get started with prayer, and we always turn that over to the Father Heilman's department. All right, in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Hosts, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan, and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruinous souls. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Father. And we want to wish everybody out there, all of our U.S. Grace Force followers and fans, a tremendous hope that you have a blessed and holy, safe, fantastic, spiritually efficacious New Year. There's so much going on in the world right now. We're going to be talking about a lot of it, obviously, with the problems in the church, but there's so much going on in government and world events, so many things out there that can really shake us up. And we want you to have a good new year. We hope and pray that everything is going to be great for you. I want to thank you for your support. I want to thank those of you out there who support us with your prayers, your encouragement, your comments, but also those who support us financially <coughs> through the Patreon program, which you can do if you'd like to, if you feel so inclined or inspired to do so, click the link in the description below, go on out, take a look at what we've got. And we thank you so much. You are in our prayers your financial support helps us continue to get this message out to as many people as possible in the time that we have. And so we thank you for that. And again, tonight, we've got Father Chad Ripperger with us. And it's always good to have you on, Father. Everybody's always excited. And I don't know if anybody realizes that you and Father Heilman are sitting side by side. You're yes, in the same are. place. So yeah, so, isn't that there awesome? You go. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so Father yeah. Howland, I mean, fill us in. What's going sure. on? Why do you have Father Ripperger there? Well, I'm honored to have Father with us Uh He's actually, obviously, in my parish, and uh, we're recording this the night before the Vigil of the Epiphany. So traditionally, and Father, you can probably, uh, you know, fill in more about this, but uh, the blessing uh, and exorcism of, I did that in the wrong order, exorcism and blessing of holy water, and uh, it's traditionally been called Epiphany Holy Water, and my understanding, and I think you're one of those that says it's particularly powerful. It is, yeah. We've actually noticed in exorcisms that it's actually a bit more powerful than even the the regular um, holy water that's done in the old rhyme. And and I think I've heard you say too, probably because the ritual itself, I think, takes takes forty five minutes. I mean, there's a it lot does, yeah. So it, it's I think there's two factors. One, there's more prayers that are actually done, right? Um, and there's even uh, an extra exorcism, if I remember right. right. Um, I do it once a year, so I always have to kind yeah, of right. try and remember that. But uh, but also it, the it's the solemnity with which you do the blessing also adds to the efficacy. Right. Yeah. So we're so excited, and people are coming from all over tomorrow night. But of course, this will be uh, made public uh, the, the day after, yeah. I believe. Uh, he'll be here. So we'll have, I think we're going to put some clips in too, Doug, to, yeah. about how that night went tomorrow night, which is actually last night for people who are watching and listening. <laughs> Father asked me to talk tonight about what I think the state of things are. It's really bad, just in case you know, but uh, I want to talk about um, the bad, but then also to provide some, as Father said, confidence and hope, because there is actually um, coming up on the horizon. One of the things that I've been watching, because um, in addition to doing exorcism work, I also actually do a fair amount of writing, and so just kind of keeping a pulse on the culture and even on the state of the church as to what its kind of state is, is one of those things where I, I just watch it, just to watch for patterns and things of this sort. But the elephant in the room is this. We have a problem. You can't admit we have a problem. The people at the top just can't admit that this whole thing has been an unmitigated disaster for 60 years. Now, I'm not trying to criticize specific things. I'm just saying that we have, the church is in a bad way and they just won't bring themselves to admit it. But the other part of the elephant, the trunk, you know, when you feel different parts, you get a different sense of it. 
is that we have to accept the fact, part of the elephant in the room, is the fact that we have people in high places in the church running parts and aspects of the church who are evil. This is something we just simply have to accept. I'm sorry, but when every single thing you do maximizes damage, that is malice. I mentioned that the last time I was here. That's malice. Everything they do is just to cause damage. They, they, they promote the guys that are openly homosexual and things of that sort. They don't do anything about a certain country of bishops who are completely schismatic or heretical in their thinking. And yet, the minute a priest basically wants to get up there and teach authentic Catholic doctrine, they pull the plug on him. That's not, that, you know, that, that's bad, obviously. We're so uh, grateful to have Father here, and we thought, well, why don't we record a podcast with him uh, while he's here? He's he's just a font of knowledge, and uh, uh, people, if you if you go on YouTube, basically, you can find uh, and just put it in Father Ripperger, you find so many of his amazing talks. I mean, it's it's. I'm sorry, Father, it's addicting. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I understand people binge watch me, which. Is <laughs> kind of hard to listen or think about myself because of the fact that I, I have to listen to myself when I talk, I know, which right? gets gets a little old yeah, after yeah, a yeah. while. But well, there's a there's a Facebook group I think I said that's uh, Father takes up uh, a half of my hard, hard drive or something, something like, like that. that yeah. <laughs> so, but anyways, <laughs> but uh, we are so grateful to have Father here, and tonight uh, we're going to talk because you and I, who we've been here for a few hours, have talked about something that uh, that's kind of near and dear to you. Mm -hmm. You're passionate about is just the place where the church is at yeah, right now and, right. and, and what you, you've been observing. So maybe you want to start us off a little bit about what, you know, we, we, the title is called Problems in the church. church. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a pretty broad uh, kind of a title, but I think that what I'm really looking at kind of talking about is the fact that um, we're, the church is obviously in the throes of the modernist heresy. And so what right. there, and, and, and that heresy has developed over the course of time. So, um, there was an article that I wrote, um, I think the title of it was called Operative Points of View, um, which actually there's a bootleg copy on the University of Arizona server, I understand, but um, <laughs> people can go and read it there. Okay. But in there, I talk about the five stages of modernism. So if you look at this five stages, the original, the first phase, which they called the initial stage, actually begins with Descartes and it kind of ends with Kant, roughly. So it's okay. that period. It's the philosophical lead up to it. And basically during that philosophical time frame, the standard for truth um, has always been reality, right? So I know the truth because my mind conforms to the way the thing is in reality. And so, uh, in fact, the definition of truth is the adequation that is my mind conforms to the thing. Well, that gets transposed for a variety of different philosophical reasons, which I do go into in that article, but um, it gets transposed from reality to one that truth becomes just uh, my thought is true if there is inner coherence among my thoughts. So it's basically the truth becomes subjective. It comes transposed mm -hmm. to the interior individual. So that's the first stage. They call <clears throat> that the initial phase. Then there's um, the, the next, and that lasts for a while. Then from um, up, up until about the, the first couple of decades of the 18th century, there's still some more development that occurs. But then after that, they sometimes call it the intelligentsia phase. This is when the intelligentsia in the church starts to get infected. And this, uh, um, the Pope even in the document Morarifos of 1832 actually starts already addressing this. He calls it liberalism, but he's actually addressing certain, it's not until you get to Pius X uh, where he's gives it the name of modernism but it's it's the still they're still dealing with the same things but this is, is this is when it starts really infecting the intelligentsia this is the time frame in which the scripture studies begin to collapse in the church where there's real questioning about um whether the church uh, scriptures are even inspired or things of that sort so that's the intelligentsia phase and that lasts up until the first vatican council is kind of the general uh, cut off. The First Vatican Council was actually addressing certain aspects that the modernists were actually right. bringing up. And of course, it got cut off because of the Franco-Prussian War. But um, then then after that, uh, you, the intelligentsia phase continues to somewhat develop. And then you have the phase that begins when once Pius X condemns it, um, in 1907, I think it was when the first document was put out and then the syllabus was put out in 1910. But after that, 
yet enters into what they call the underground phase. So the intelligentsia stopped um, talking about these things publicly. They went underground. They were still in academia, especially in the um, Catholic universities, but also in the seminaries. So they got into the seminaries and they started um, putting this stuff in. There was still a purging that was gone on until Benedict XV stopped the purging um, of the faculties, which uh, of the various faculties of the universities and seminaries, which was a bit of a problem, right? He should have yeah. continued it on. Um, they still had to take the oath of modernism, but by the time you get to the 1960s, the oath of modernism is just seen as a joke because all these guys have already subscribed to most of the uh, modernist ideas. So it goes underground for a while. It's also at that point that they start going into areas where the um, you can you can say things and it's not considered heresy. So a lot of them started getting into things like liturgical studies and saying, oh, we need to change the liturgy, we need to do this, we need to do that. And so they started proposing all sorts of things. And it's during that time you see a lot of liturgical views. You see that um, hat, the kind of the standard um, fair that occurs where they start a liturgical abuse, the Vatican says no, and then eventually it becomes widespread, and then the Vatican caves, and then it becomes approved. And so that pattern that we see, we even saw that, you know, um, with like communion in the hand and things of that sort later, but that was the the pattern that they kind of established during that time. That's just one example. But they they went underground, and then there's a kind of a surfacing phase that starts to happen in the um, in the 1950s, to where and it comes out full blown in the 1960s, and then that surfacing phase is where it becomes more overt. So, if example, if you read some of the um, the uh, scholastic or some of the manuals that were written, um, like in moral theology and things like that, there's a collapse of natural law doctrine and all sorts of that stuff just starts to become more apparent in the church. And I've been told, I haven't been able to verify the source, that Pius XII actually said that one of the reasons he didn't call a council is because the intelligentsia were out to lunch. He was worried that it would be hard to control the discussions on the floor of a council. So um, then what happens is, is after, uh, not because of the Second Vatican Council, but as a, the Second Vatican Council was kind of a catalyst where these guys came up to the fore, and then we entered into, in the 1960s and 70s and afterwards, we entered into the fifth phase, which they called the superficial phase. The intellectual gas had run out, that, that there was no more stuff to really be developed. By this time, you had writers like Gerlugu Lagrange, Cornelius Fabro, who were just wiping these guys out intellectually. So there was no real, they, there was no real argument. They were losing the argument intellectually, but it entered into a superficial stage. And that's where pe the, that's where we're seeing now where theology is. It's just extraordinarily superficial. Um, it, even going to the seminaries, you'd see that there's things that they would talk about and stuff that lacked any kind of precision or anything like that. The superficial stage lasted, I think, for a while. I think we've now entered into the sixth stage, which I'm calling the force phase. Because they, they've lost the intellectual arguments, they've run out of intellectual gas, and people aren't buying it, and the younger generation of kids are just hungering for the truth, and they're pursuing the right. truth. They want to know what the church teaches, etc. They're not, they don't, they're not subscribing to the modernism so much. I mean, they're still infected with it to some degree, but they want to actually know what the truth is. And that is, I, I first started noticing that we were starting to enter into a different phase when I read an article by Richard McBrien. Um, I would say of happy memory, but I would not be being truthful. Uh, but anyway, he, he actually uh, said that the fact that the younger generation of clergy coming up is by and large orthodox and, and more conservative, he says, this is not a good thing. And I realized they're going to start getting more draconian, and that's what we've seen. When you can't persuade by argument, then the only thing left is force. And that's what we're starting to see in the church where the bishops and certain other people in the magisterium are just forcing the issues and forcing people to, you have to accept this, otherwise you're not Catholic, which is these things are not necessarily Catholic in themselves that they're trying to force. Wow. So we're into this, I think we're entering into the sixth phase where it's becoming more draconian and more forceful. Yeah. And if that it, makes any sense. Well, and with that, I mean, that, I mean, great explanation. With that, where do you think that takes us in this sixth phase? Like, how do you see this unfolding then with the, um, kind of looking at the historical kind of past of all this? Well, I think that the, those who are going to force it are only going to be alive for a short period of time. I think it's basically the boomer generation. Once they pass, it's over, right? So it's going to be, yeah. So I think once they, but they're, they're, they're pretty wed to the superficiality of modernism. Um, 
and that superficiality is because um and this is something that people have said to me you know there's no great theologians anymore and i said well that's true because of the principle of eminence which is part of modernism it reality is governed by the principle of excluded middle either a thing is or it is not right so things don't like it's only in our thinking that we can kind of not be certain about certain things but in reality everything is absolutely certain either a thing exists or it doesn't and that becomes the basis of precision in our judgments about whether this thing is black or whether it's white or whether it's gray or whether it's this or how much it is this or how much it is that it's the reality of the thing well once that's gone and since revelation is something introduced into sensible reality christ came and taught the apostles etc and all the things that the apostles taught even the tradition itself is introduced into sensible reality and that's what we're supposed to conform ourselves to once that's gone all the precision which that would be the cause is gone and so you just end up in this very superficial very shallow theology which is being done today the good news is though is, is that the young kids coming up and i see this i'm um, just observing some of the guys getting ordained they're not buying it they're not satisfied they want more and when they hear the things that pertain to the tradition or to the how the church has always talked about these things which was with great clarity which is another thing we have a natural inclination as human beings for clarity and that's just been missing for 50 60 years and the younger generation are not satisfied with just saying well you know be happy that jesus loves you that's just not going to work right you're going to have to give them solid foundational reasons and they're hungry for the truth they're hungry to learn this stuff and so i think we're going to go through this force phase it's going to be pretty brutal it's going to be pretty ugly for a while but at a certain point presuming god doesn't chastise us and <laughs> spank us so to speak and correct it that way um it'll start we slowly start to correct itself but it's going to be it's going to be a while i think wow you know the way you're framing this uh rings true to my 34 years of priesthood right so you're talking about superficial i mean i could have used that word too but but it's so true because uh and you mentioned the boomer generation i'm at the tail end of the boomer generation and um <clears throat> what I've noticed in my 34 years of priesthood is you can frame it in a lot of ways, but it's when you start taking the faith seriously. Okay. Right. Yeah. You start, start adding more reverence, for instance, to the liturgy. Right. Uh, and, and, uh, and you start teaching the truths as if we absolutely need to believe these truths or any of that. Right. You would say this, see this revolt yes. from the boomer generation. Yes. And at the same time, You'd see young people just swarming toward it. That's right. This is what I've been missing. This right. is what we want. Feed us. I can. I, I was telling you how um, <clears throat> we were talking earlier. How we would have pipes and pints, right. and I'd have uh, the guys over, and we wouldn't get drunk or anything. We'd have a beer or two, and and th these guys like to smoke a pipe or, or a cigar or something like that. It's just fun. Mm -hmm. But these guys started. Re these these are guys that for years were self-professed agnostics. And yeah, all of a sudden yeah, they're right. in the church and they're excited. And what do they do? They're reading encyclicals. Yes. These guys were yeah. quoting from encyclicals and they'd only been in the church for like a year. Right. You know? yep. But the hunger, right, mm -hmm. from that generation, like you you said in it, you we can see it in the some uh seminarians you know yeah and 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 i was pointing out how to when when bishop morlino came in mm -hmm. and right about the time the pope benedict came in all of a sudden we went to almost nobody studying in seminary to like 33 guys and it was only like a handful right. of years before we got there because this hunger for something su substantive versus supernatural right yeah, yeah that's right i think that um part of the part of the part of the thing that i've been noticing is just sometimes observing some of the theological discussions online what i've noticed is is that there in addition to the lack of precision where people are not using their terms in precise ways that have been fashioned through millennia in the church where this word has this specific meaning etc a lot of them are just basically ignorant of it so there's that issue but a lot of it too is is that some of the things that people would say is just intellectually daft mm. i mean just even from an elementary analysis there's no way this thing could even be true but even you see this um you see this even when you know with some of the uh, members of the magisterium when they talk about certain things you know in the in the modern culture or in the church they're just it's 
it, <laughs> I, I guess this is the academic in me and being a Thomist, I love clarity and I want the precision that when they talk, it's just almost repulsive because it, it, it doesn't give you anything. In fact, it just leaves you more clouded in your judgment than it, than it, than if you would have just said, okay, look, I'm just going to go study this on my own. And I think that that's part of it. I think that the, the, the real problem with the principle of imminence too is, is once you transpose what we have to conform our lives to from objective reality to what is interior, well, it's just going to be the way of all flesh in the end. People are just going to follow the, the defects of original sin, like concupiscence and everything else. So it's just going to be, what do my emotions want? If this is emotionally painful, well, then I just don't want to hear it. And this is one of the reasons why I think a lot of the documents that come out from um, certain bishops and things like that, they're, they're, they're very mealy mouth, so to speak, and they're very watered down mm -hmm. precisely because they don't want to hurt people's feelings. Mm -hmm. and it, ambiguous. The, ambiguous. And, and if you say something, I, this is something that I've noticed, if you just tell people the truth straight away, a lot of times it's jarring to people now right. because they're so habituated in, you know, how do I feel emotionally, relationship with this, and people pandering to their emotions that when somebody comes on and just says, no, this is the way it is, it's hard. Now, the younger kids are like, Okay, that might hurt a little bit, but I, I like that. I want to hear more of what you have to say. Exactly, Father, I'm curious. The, the title of, of the show here, Problems in the Church, um, and I know before we were talking, you, you, you've got a pretty kind of strong attitude about where things are. You break down, you have kind of a, a list. I mean, you, you, you've got so much uh, perspective that the average person doesn't see from what you've seen, what you've been through, and what you see happening. And as an exorcist, of course, you get a real unique angle that many of us, well, I hope and pray, never have to see. But right. what, what are you seeing when you just generally see problems in the church as a whole? Because a lot of people out there are thinking, yeah, what is this list of problems? Yeah, you know, for me, it's, it's multi-layered. There's the intellectual, which I've just mentioned, which is just essentially collapsed. In fact, I always tell people, if you look at the collapse in theology, it first started with scripture collapse, as I mentioned in the 1800s. Mm -hmm. Then the ecclesiology collapsed in the uh, teens and 20s of the last century. So by, by the time you come out of there, um, there has there's already a rejection of the church's ecclesiology that had been in place. Uh, interestingly, it was also during that time that the great it was in the later 18 part of the 1800s that the most amount of work was done to give clarity to a lot of these questions. But it had collapsed um, because the intelligentsia had lost it. And then, of course, there's the collapse of the natural law. And I tell people one of the reasons that we know. And by the way, all of this coincided with the collapse of the moral life in the church. So if you read the document from 1961 called Institutio Religiosorum, there's an English translation on it. I think they usually call it on, um, the Institutes of Religious. But basically, it's um, it was a document put out by the Congregation for uh, Religious to all the heads of all of the religious congregations worldwide in 1961. And the, what they basically pointed out was you could boil it down to two essential things. One, stop ordaining the homosexuals and the pedophiles. They were already talking about this in 1961. That meant that there was already a moral collapse that was occurring in the church, and we're still seeing the effects of that moral collapse. I do think some of the younger clergy are trying to lead better lives, which is actually good. They're trying to lead, they're trying to become holy. They're trying to pursue what's true. So I think that the, the future looks good in that sense. Um, but there, there was that moral collapse. But the other thing was, too, is, is that there was also a collapse in the relationship with the Sixth Commandment. And this was something that was very seriously taken because um, in the past, you would be tonsured, which means you would be made sacred. You were rendered a cleric um, before you received any of the minor orders because the idea was is that you should be a sacred person before you receive sacred things, right? And so that was the idea behind it. But they were saying that if you're going to be sacred, then you have to lead a life of celibacy. And they were so serious. They said that if a, if a man comes to you in the seminary and he has gravely fallen in relationship to the sixth commandment, you are forbidden to give him absolution unless he agrees to leave the seminary. That's how serious they were about it. And all of that had collapsed. By the time it came out, it was a dead letter because the homosexuals had already got in. The guys who were morally compromised in relationship mm -hmm. to the Sixth Commandment and otherwise had already gotten in, and they were basically running the place. Mm -hmm. And so there's, so I see both an intellectual collapse, there's the moral collapse, and then there's also on, on a diabolic level, I mean, the, there, we just see all sorts of things that are um, actually happening for the 
you know, that um, the uh, the the spiritual warfare component by that by the time you get out of the 50s, the, the church had lost. There, there was hardly any exorcists left. They stopped uh, making men exorcists. So that frontline battle was removed. There was all sorts of things that the church, the church just stopped talking about sin and demons and things of that sort. So mm -hmm. there's just it's so multi-layered um, at this point um, that, you know, when I look at the complexion of the church, I think to myself, you know, I just don't know how we're going to get out of this without God correcting it. I think it's beyond human correction. Yeah. Mm. No, <clears throat> this week we are uh, laying to rest Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. Yeah. Um, the personal hero of mine. Uh, I know one of the striking quotes from him is he he talked about a dictatorship of relativism yes. that was going on in the church. Do you do you see him as someone who recognized what you're saying and and was trying his best to I th to, I th to draw us back? Uh, I think that, um, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, I mean, I've read a lot of his stuff and I've always had questions about what exactly, I mean, I do have some idea of where I think he was trying to take the church. It was more, I think he was one of those guys that after the council, he was a little alarmed at the fact that things went, went off the rails the right. way it did. And so I think he was, he was very concerned about that and he was trying to rein it in. I do know also that in relationship to the liturgy, that he was one of the reasons he wanted the traditional Latin mass out there was to provide a view of the liturgy so that he could so that the liturgy could start undergoing a, a, a some type of reform of some sort you know try to get get that side of things straightened out so and, and he did to some degree i mean the very fact that he put out new translations in certain languages i think was uh, quite uh, good in relationship to the to the new mass because it, it cleaned up a lot of a lot of issues but um i think that his he i think he could see the problem, I think he could also see uh, a, a number of the problems. I think he could, I think he also saw where it was headed, that if something doesn't change, this is the, uh, this is what's going to happen. And uh, the tyranny, and this is the whole thing that always ends up happening with relativism, as you know, Father, is once relativism takes over, it's just who happens to be the strongest guy to force everyone else to do what he wants, exactly. to comply. And that's what usually what ends up happening. That's right. We're seeing that not just in the church. We're seeing that in the civil government. Right. It's just whoever manages to get the upper hand and have control is the one who just forces everything on everybody. Yeah, who can inflict fear the most. Uh, uh, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I think that I think one of the other things too is we're also coincide. Part of the difficulty with the principle of eminence has just made people very selfish, in, even in the church. Um, you know, there's no sense of look. I want to I, I want to die to myself and do what God wants and to conform to what God wants ultimately. And let's take the church in the direction that God wants. You don't see that much in the church. So I think people have become selfish. So I think we're. Um, I, I mean. But I do think there is hope on the horizon. Like I said, I think the younger generation, there are a lot of them are studying too. I, I think that, um, and not to dominate the discussion too much here, but I think that one of the things that I've seen, which has been kind of joyful for me to see is I've always been a Thomist. I always loved St. Thomas. The church has always encouraged St. Thomas, everything from my attorney Patris of Leo the 13th. Um, the Council of Trent used him extensively in the, in, in the formulation of their work uh, for the council. Um, and then the church is even in canon law that St. Thomas is supposed to be part of seminary formation. But I always found it interesting that there is kind of a distaste amongst the older generation. Um, anybody that's over like 50 or so, or um, generally a lot of them have a distaste for St. Thomas. And you'll ask them, you know, well, what's wrong with St. Thomas? And like, well, we just don't want to be restricted. His thinking is too narrow or it's this or it's that. And it went in clear. It's too clear. Yeah. And that's, that's what they really don't like. They don't like the clarity because they want to be able to operate, operate in a nebulous situation yes. and then that way they can do whatever they want whereas if things are clear well then you can't always do it necessarily exactly. what you want. but what i'm the hope that i'm starting to see is that some of the younger generation you see this among the 20s to the 35 year old are picking up saint thomas they're running yes. with him they're studying him and they love to they love his writings so i think that's a really good hope that's coming forward yeah a little bit ago father you you made mention um that that we're we're too far gone for man to fix this. If I yeah. kind of paraphrase that, um, I'm sure some of the audience caught that. Can you break that down a little bit more about then if that's if it if it's we can't fix it, where do you see this getting fixed from? 
Um, because <laughs> well, I'm willing to say comets are coming from. Out of I knew you were yeah. going there. I gotta go there. I got just make fun well, of. I do. I, you know, wow. if, first of all, God is a good father, and I think He's going to spank us just for our benefit. We, yeah. we, we do. We need to get some clarity. And one time, my dad said to me, "My dad was a master, and he's still alive. God bless him. He's he's about to turn ninety, but he he is a master of one-liners." And he says, if a person is having a problem with giving, uh, with having attention, then you just spank them and that gets their attention, right? <laughs> so, you know, and so he just says, you just have to administer a little bit of pain and they, that'll get their attention, right? So, but um, I think that's, I think that God is going to spank us, but primarily as a corrective, there's a certain amount of punishment in that too, but I think it's really more as a corrective because, you know, man has become almost an abomination to himself, as the as the prophecy says. You know, just I mean, all the stuff that we see in relationship to um, how a marriage has just been destroyed, transgenderism, all of that stuff, that the influx of all that, and the fact that the bishops, um, there's been a couple of them, but a lot of them won't speak about those things, even though these things are gravely offensive to God and need to be addressed and those types of things. But to the reason I think that God is going to have to correct it is because I think even if we got a Pope that was saintly, like Pius V or Pius X, or even some of the ones um, like, I, I, I personally think that Pius IX was very, um, uh, was very uh, saintly too towards the end. Um, which I have a story to tell about him, which, which I think you'll find interesting. But, but I think that even if we got a very saintly pope, one who had very good clarity, knew how to reform the church, I do not think that um, a large percentage of the magisterium or the members of the magisterium, the bishops, um, and even those who work in the Vatican would obey. Even if he said, this is what we're going to do, we're going to start correcting it, I think he would get a lot of resistance. I've been told that Pope Benedict, when he started to try and do a lot of the corrections, that it was just constant warfare, fighting just to get even some of the simplest things done. Mm -hmm. So I think that um, I just don't think that he could pull it off. And I think that's why we that we're going to have to have some type of divine corrective. Mm. You know what form that will take is ultimately God will determine in His um, in His wisdom. What can we do, Father? I mean, we, we you hear this stuff and you feel small, and you feel like it's out of your control. Uh, and I, I don't know. I I obviously am advocating prayer, but yeah. I. I, I almost feel like, and I've used this image a lot, where when the going got tough, the apostles got going and they they took off in silent self-protection and ended up in the upper room hiding, right? Right, yeah. And then Jesus blew through that door even though it was locked and breathed on them. Right. And then they, they received a new spirit of heroism right. to go out at that point. Um. I feel like that's where we're at least it feels to me. I think that's where yeah. we're at right now. We're they're behind the that door, and we gotta pray that Jesus busts down that door and breathes on our our leaders again. Yeah. I mean, there's gonna be a divine intervention, but wouldn't it be cool if it was that? Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think that that is a good analogy because um, the the uh, the apostles were afraid both of the civil authorities, which many bishops are afraid of the right. civil authorities, and they're also um, they were they're uh, they were afraid of the Jewish religious authorities, right. and many of the bishops are also afraid of some of the uh, um, authorities in the church who are, you know. So I think that that's a really good analogy, and I think that's what's going to have to come at some point. Yeah. I sure would like a Holy Spirit, a breath of the Holy Spirit better than comets. What do you say about that, Doug? <laughs> yeah, Holy Spirit's breath might be a comet, actually. Though. Oh, there you go. <laughs> the power of it coming through. Yeah, the power of the Holy Spirit yeah, in yeah, the comet. Yeah. No, I don't want the comments. Don't I don't want people to misunderstand I know, I know. me. It's just some I of the know, prophecies of Our Lady, you know. But it's you know something. Well, I do want to mention one thing that I find interesting. By the way, when I was in living in Rome, I used to eat at this place called the Casa de Clara, which is where all the bishops and priests from around the world and, and cardinals would even come and eat. And the way it worked in Rome is you had to pay to have a separate table. If you didn't pay, then you had to. You just went and sat next in line on these long tables, right? So you you'd sit next to all sorts of people worldwide. Well, at one point, it came out when I was there that when they, they were exhuming the body of Pius IX for his canonization, 
And this is the rumor, which I found that if the Cardinals tell you a rumor, it's usually true, usually, not 90% most of the time. Um, but when they exhumed his body, he was incorrupt to the same level as Bernadette. Wow. Oh. And so they complete that's that's that was wow. the rumor that they were they were telling and they were just matter of fact about it oh yeah then as soon, as soon as they saw that they finished the process got it all done and said close the tomb because they didn't want people to know that he was incorrupt so I, I i don't know i you know again i can't verify that but it was it was interesting to actually hear that so then um where do you think this falls the average person in the pew you know i know mm -hmm. mother angelica one of the things that she would say is we we just got to help people get from monday to saturday you know just the average yeah. person just get through the week um yeah. the average person who doesn't know the details doesn't study maybe doesn't have you know the, the either the desire or the depth but wants to be a faithful catholic wants to get to, to mass and make sure they're fulfilling their obligation um where do you think in kind of a, a broad question here the average john jane sitting in the pews um who doesn't pay a lot of attention to this sort of stuff, the problems in the church in general. Right. How, how are they going to find themselves one day? Are they going to wake up? What are they, they going to be experiencing, do you think? Like right now we're waking up and all of a sudden we're hearing what the German bishops and cardinals have decided to kind of go rogue with certain things. And, you know, I mean, and, and Pope Francis says this or that and not, not bashing anything, but it's confusing. But a lot of people don't even know what he's saying or what confusion is coming out. All of a sudden, the church just says, now we're going to do this. And their pastor says, now we're going to do this. And they just kind of go along with it. Where do you think this puts the average Joe and Jane in the pew who's not paying deep detail to what's going on? Um, I think it puts them in a bad situation. Mm -hmm. For the longest time, I've been telling people, look, we live in a time where you cannot be ignorant of your faith. You have got to be studying it because otherwise you're just going to end up falling into error. It's just that right. simple. Right. And you've got to be working on holiness. Because if you don't, when things get rough, which I think they're going to get rough, not just in the church, but I think politically as well, yeah. things are going to get very rough. And people have to have a certain amount of holiness to be able to, they have to have a certain amount of virtue and sanctity to be able to deal with the suffering that's going to come. The, uh, you know, as far as, um, but I think that, you know, I think one thing that people, can be uh, aware of and this is something which because i think sometimes you know father you said you feel very small and there are times when i get that same sense right you feel like this is just you know such a gargantuan problem and in a certain sense it's be that's why i say it's beyond human correction ultimately this is a problem that only god can solve right. i just have to do my part that's my function but you know as an exorcist once in a while we will come across things that give an insight into how people who are striving to become holy and do things and offer up their prayer, sufferings and good works for other people has a massive impact. So uh, on occasion, once in a while, someone will be liberated. And in the process of the liberation, you'll find out that, um, or in the, in the process of the exorcisms, the demons will complain that they lost a particular individual in a family who, and they by, by, by them saying they lost them, that meant that the person converted to Catholicism or started leading their Catholic faith and were leading good lives. So the demons were miffed because they had had them in their clutches, but now they lost them. And it was all because of the prayer, like of the person's mother or because a, a, an individual, you know, in another location actually had, um, you know, offered up their suffering while they were dying for the conversion of souls. And so you'll, once in a while, you'll see, they'll get a glimpse of how this stuff is actually working in the background. Some, we can't see it. A lot of times it seems like we're not doing anything and we're offering it up. It just seems like it's going into the ether, so to speak, and nothing's really happening. But there are concrete things that are actually happening. There was a story, I think it was in Mexico, although maybe it was Spain. I can't remember which one it was. Uh, and I'm sure someone else out there probably knows the story better than I do. But there was a particular um, individual who was particularly bad and so there was a, a, a saint who had um, uh, who had a person who was very saintly but unknown decided to do a pilgrimage and offer the entire pilgrimage for this individual's conversion, and um, they the person ended up converting, and it only came out later through a private revelation that the grace of the person's conversion had come from this other individual that they didn't even know had come from this other individual um, for the for that conversion. And so I think people have to um, be encouraged at the fact that 
you know, by becoming holy, offering up your prayers and sufferings and good works, it is benefiting somebody in the church. God's not letting your prayers go to waste. It is helping people. It will be unseen. You might not even know until the final judgment, but he will use those things to lay the groundwork so that when he does correct the, the church, people will already be in place spiritually to be able to move the church forward. And even now, and we help the conversions now. So there are, you know, it's where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. I'm just seeing so many, I was talking to Father about this a little bit earlier. I've seen so many stories of people who, you know, if they just pray, phenomenal things are happening. It's purely because, I, I mean, my own take on it is, is God is, he's got all this grace he wants to give out, Our Lady does, and nobody's taken it up. So when somebody wants it, they're willing to give them large amounts of it. So I think that that, and so tremendous things do happen. Um, I think people just need to have that courage and realize, work on the holiness, work on this. Uh, even if we go through the chastisement, for those who are trying to seek holiness, it will be to their purification and to their sanctification. Mm. They'll become holier through it. And so it'll actually be a good thing. I've, I've found, Father, that, um, you know, I, we, we've heard this a million times, but you start with yourself. That's right. And then you start with those who are nearest to you. And, right. and it's like ripples in a pond. You you, right. you try to affect change that way, but you got to start with yourself. So, that's right. And uh, and that, like you said, is that holiness. But but then what what are you radiating then is, isn't it this peace? Even yeah. though we're facing challenges, even though the devil's trying to, you know, take us off our game and and rattle our cage. You know that that we we stand solid and, and we stand in God's peace. Uh, and that then, for those who are uh, experiencing so much chaos and disturbance and you right. know and oppression or whatever it is, they'll look at those vessels of peace and they'll right. go, "I want in. I want what you have." Right and, and and so they're drawn to that. So it, how important? Like we, yeah. we got done saying we feel small, but we're not. No, that we, and that's my point. Right, is that in point in fact, this is something that I've found interesting. Um, you know, in working with people who will, you'll be dealing with a case of possession that is actually connected to you know certain members of the hierarchy or something like that. And so this person who is a complete unknown is having this massive impact on the conversion of some of these people that the demons are saying that they have control over. And so this is something that is that, that we're not small, that in point of fact, it's just that it, I think the problem is, is that we tend to look at things too much in terms of this world. Right rather than in terms of what's really going on in the other side of the world. I always tell people, you know, on the, on the, on the other, on the other, um, uh, other side, but I, I tell people, you know, being an exorcist is like being in a boat, you know, you're in a boat. you know, there's fish in the street, you know, they're there, you know, they're there, you can't see them, but if you take a bucket and you stick it in the water, that's got a glass bottom, you see the fish going by. Well, that's kind of what an exorcist is being like is the, in the sense that you see these other things that are going on on the other side that are tremendous and are having a huge impact. It's just that we don't see them because we're seeing the chaos of the world. Right. So you keep you reference you keep referencing. Pardon me. Um, uh, the chastisement. Yeah. Um, I know people are out there listening and watching, thinking, "What is it? What is it going to look like? Do you have any insight as to what we might be expecting when it comes to that?" Um. You know, I'm not that knowledgeable. I, it's one of those things that I've studied it for like 20 or 30 years, and I still feel like I know nothing. Right. So, but yeah. I mean, there's a few things we do know. So, for <clears throat> example, Our Lady, um, you know, basically did warn that communism would take over, right? Mm -hmm. If we if we didn't if we didn't do what we were supposed to do, um, and then also that we we also know from a key from a Akita. Our Lady said, if man isn't careful, it will come from his own hands, if I remember her correctly. Mm -hmm. So we'd also know that it could be, we don't know the exact nature of it. Mm. There are some, um, there, there's, a, I'm still trying to verify a, a quote from Mary Julie Jehani on the three stages of the chastisement, but I don't want to talk about that without being certain about it. Sure. But, but there's also the um, prophecies of Blessed Elena Aurelio. I don't know if you ever heard of her. She she actually predicted several things that have already become true, but she she said that Russia would invade Europe and that um, they would basically destroy Europe and that Italy would be the one that would suffer the most because of the sins of impurity. And then she also said that the cities of Russia will burn. 
So we, and she's been right in everything that she's predicted up until this point and her other stuff. So um, there's some things that we know. There's other things we just don't know. Right. The right. good thing though is, <coughs> is our lady did said that, you know, that um, her immaculate heart would triumph. So we will, after the chastisement, we will live in a, in a period of her triumph. Mm -hmm. So there is joy on the other side of it. It just means it's going to be a little bit difficult getting through it, I think. Right. Right. I can't help but think that there's something to the fact that uh, Pope Benedict passed mm. just hours away from the conclusion of, of the of the year. year. Yeah. And it's almost like, you know, that's symbolic of something, you know, that that uh, you know that that we're heading into um, hopefully a dawn of a new era, right. but, uh, but that we've, what we passed through something. Um, I remember, you know, hearing that he was ill and, and the, the word, the word kind of spread right around the time of the, um, winter solstice and all that, but, right. but the light that's coming into the world. And, um, and I, I you know, I, I don't want to say it's tragic because he's with our Lord, but right. now we have a powerful prayer warrior in him. Right. Um, but I don't know what he stood for, at least for me. And I think we talked, you talked about how young people yeah. and young priests and all this stuff um, get it. It seems like um, just to kind of yeah. sum up what you're saying, they kind they, they get it. And um, it's the clarity, right? Rather than it's, it the is, depth. Yeah. it's, it's, right. it's, it's the, it's the hunger for the more yeah. it's, it's all that, that, um, that, that's what's going to heal us. That's right. Yeah. It, it, when we when we go in that direction, I, I don't know. I I just feel like uh, we we have a, that powerful prayer warrior now. What do you? Yeah, I think so. I it's it's funny because for some reason or other, I kept thinking he was going to live a couple of more years, yeah. and then the fact that he passed so rapidly was uh, a little bit surprising uh, to me. In fact, it's one of the it's one of the things that I had a hypothesis, which was evidently erroneous, mm -hmm. about him living a couple of more years. But I think that um, that it, there's there's a kind of a significance to his passing. We'll just have to see how that plays itself out. Yeah. And I'm sure, I don't know if you saw, there was a couple of articles, there was an article that was written about him. I don't know if it was on 1 Peter 5. I can't remember where it was located, but basically they were talking about how he um, had subscribed to a particular church father about how the church was going to become much more reduced in size. Right. And I think we're going to see that. I think that there's going to be a drastic reduction in the church. I think the persecution is going to come not just from outside, but even with inside the church, you're going to see a drastic reduction, but the people that will be there will be very faithful and right. very solid. Right. I think he said that as Cardinal Ratzinger, I'm, I'm not mistaken, but yeah. 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 Father, I just, I just pulled up uh, on the monitor here. Blessed Elena. How do you pronounce her last name? Aelio? Yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, I probably slaughtered that. She's actually bit. someone. She's actually something. Someone worth reading. Yeah, since so she passed away in 1961, I'm not familiar with her, but I'm glad you mentioned her. Yeah. Uh, one of the headlines, if you call it that, they've got right here is Russia will battle America. So, I mean, have you heard of that one? Is that a particular one? That um, one, I that one, I haven't. You know, one of the, <laughs> huh. one of the things that I'll often do is when I see some um, somebody who's referenced who's saintly in some type of prophetic way. I virtually never read people's commentary. I go straight to the source mm -hmm. because there's a lot of times there's extrapolations. Right. And I'm like, well, I'm not yeah. so sure that's what she yeah. said. Yeah. There. You right. the words. Yeah. 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 So I always will go just read them uh, directly. And so there's some, there are some websites online that actually have a bulk of her prophecies. Right, right. Yeah, we wouldn't want to throw any clickbait out there or anything. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I'll just make this announcement. Father Ripperger said... That no, I'm just kidding, just kidding. not going to do that. Not going to do that. Not going to go there. Well, I mean, ultimately, I would recommend reading any saint or blessed, right? I mean, right, right. So. Yeah, and, and you know, this is something where I, I just see. Oh, you mentioned, you know, where Our Lady of Fatima was the one who mentioned that Russia would would get out of hand if we didn't consecrate Russia to the Heart. I mean, we yeah. have been warned by heaven in church-approved, well-researched, thoroughly yeah. investigated messages. You know. How many times heaven has sent a message to us in one way, shape, yeah. or form? And Father, I feel like some in the church, and you know, we're, since we're talking about some of the problems with leadership and such over the years, some of the church have tried to squash some of these messages, not not get yeah. them out there because they would seem you would think to lead people to a deeper, more devout life. You think that's right. accurate? 
Yeah, I think that's generally true. Uh, people say, well, you don't have to believe it as private revelation. Well, that's right. true. On the other hand, if Our Lady appears and causes a miracle with 70,000 people see and she's talking, I think it's a pretty prudent idea to listen to her. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, in fact, quite frankly, I think it's imprudent not to listen right. to her. Yeah. I mean, obviously, God sent her here for a very specific reason. You know, I think that one of the things that I've been meditating too in relationship to the, the uh, apparition there at Fatima, if you actually look at what she's saying, she said, if the Pope consecrates Russia, right? So if they if they had if he had done it early enough, because now it's, you know, even though um I personally think that the Pope did actually fulfill that requirement, that's just my own opinion on the matter. But it, it it's too late to avert the problems, right? Mm -hmm. But if you actually look what she said in the very beginning, if the Pope consecrates Russia, Russia will be converted, right? And you will enjoy an era of peace. Now, what she's saying there is Russia, there if not, then she will spread her errors. Okay. Mm -hmm. That means that Russia is was either to be the instrument of blessing for us or the instrument of it was a scourge, an mm -hmm. instrument of punishment. And well, we didn't do what we were supposed to do, and so now she's going to be the instrument of our punishment. Yeah. You know, regardless of whether, because I know there's a lot of discussion about, you know, is Russia on the right or is it the wrong or whatever. I, in fact, I've gotten to the point where I just like I don't even know what's going on over there. It's because you can't trust the mainstream news media to give you the straight dope what's going on over there. But regardless of the case, regardless of Putin's motivations, regardless of any of that, um, the fact is is that if Our Lady said it's going to be to our punishment that they're going to be an instrument of our punishment. I also think that when they say said Russia will spread its errors, it's not just, it's not just the form of government communism. It's mm. even though that is a tremendous scourge. In fact, you know, I, the more I study communism, the more I think it's just totally diabolic and it's, and it's in every facet. Mm -hmm. But that being said, um, it's not just the form of government. It's the tearing down of marriage. The first thing that uh, Lenin did is outlaw marriage. It's the destruction of marriage. It's the destruction. Uh, it's the whole woke culture. It's all this stuff. It's the deep state. It's all this stuff. It's the feminism that we're seeing, the disordered feminism that we're seeing. It's all of that stuff that we're actually seeing is the errors of Russia. And it's permeated worldwide now. Father, do you think it's it's a stretch to, to look at it this way? And and I'm I'm not trying to be a doom and gloom. But in the 33 years that I've traveled and spoken, you know, around the country, and a lot of it on Marian apparitions, church-approved Marian apparitions, as things have changed just in the last three decades that I've seen, and you know much more, you go way, you know, way deeper than I do, than I know, um, I, I believe we've got to reach out for every soul possible, evangelize yeah. every way possible. But I also think, as you've said, we're at a point now, and I've been feeling this in my heart for a long time. There's a lot more emphasis I'm getting when I pray and, and consider the work that I'm that I feel called to do to help people just prepare for yeah. everything that's a, that, that is hitting the fan. And as Father Heilman and I have talked many times on this program, the last couple two and a half years or so, as we've seen things unfold. I mean, the fact that we spent 2021, yeah. we were only on YouTube five out of the 12 months. We were banned seven months because of two programs that reference this or that. That that's just one example that many people have gone through and one small example of a much bigger picture. I just feel like we're much more at a place now where, yes, I want to evangelize. I want to do all I can to help everybody, but I just feel like it's, it's also time to kind of spiritually and even somewhat naturally gear up, so to speak, for what's coming. And you've referenced that in different yeah. ways about God strengthening us for what is we're going to get hit. I mean, a previous program we did with you, which we use as a clip for our best of last week, was you saying that in so many words, God is putting just good ordinary Catholics, ordinary meaning faithful, they're, they're striving, right. but they're going through unbelievable challenges as right. if to prepare them like a special operations soldier right. for the, the coming you know, storm that we're going to have to battle in. So yeah. not doom and gloom, but time to really roll up the sleeves, dig deep and, in, and engage, get strong in the Lord, as, as Father Hyman always says. Am I am I off on this, or do you think no, this think, is on target? Yeah, no, I think so. Actually, I did um, three conferences in Vandalia, where you were at, Father, recently. But I did three conferences there where I talk about the natural preparation, the spiritual preparation, you know, what you need to do in order to be, to, to get prepared. Because the um, it's, it's analogous. I tell people, look, we're on the Titanic. 
it's hit the iceberg it's mm. going down mm. now there's two things here one is the preparation is you better get your life jacket on right and get ready it's going to get cold and try and get into a boat if you can mm -hmm. and if you're in a boat then that goes back to your you know trying to get as many people as you can it's literally picking out individuals out of the water. You're not going to get the whole Titanic into your boat. Right. You're only, it, it's just going to be individuals that you can manage to save. And that's what we have to do with those people that are in our right. lives. Yeah. So, but I think it's both the preparation and, and then also part of that is just, uh, probably, I suppose part of the preparation in this sense is just getting people into the boat of an Orthodox, solid Catholic life mm -hmm. where they're, you know, where they're trying to become holy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, my biggest concern is, and this is something which I've kind of mentioned, you know, five years ago, I, I'm one of these guys that, um, because I worked as a mechanic for my dad, I would very often, you'd, you'd take things apart and then you'd put them back together. So you know where things were headed, right? Mm -hmm. You just got really good at seeing where things were headed. Mm -hmm. Well, um, and so one of the things that I was noticed about five years ago is the fact that so many people were receiving communion in the state of mortal sin. I said, you know, if you look at the Old Testament, anytime people do that, God takes the gift that he's given to them. He takes it from them and gives it to someone else. And I said, if people aren't careful, God is going to basically take away their regular access to the sacraments. This is, I had no idea it would come in the form of COVID, right? A lot of people didn't get access to the to that. But I'm wondering, and I'm not, trying to prophesize here i'm just saying the 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 attack that's happening against the clergy both from the bishops and from the lay people themselves attacking the clergy i can't help but wonder if we're going to enter into a time where it's going to be hard for people it may not be a long time but it's going to be hard for people to get access to a priest if they're not careful and this is why i tell people look you need to be praying for your priests not attacking them the bishops need to be supporting them and doing everything they can to help the priests lead good holy catholic lives because the priests are are getting attacked from both angles father i think we're at the end of our show here and this has been amazing and i i told you this earlier when you and i were together is that um you've helped us have hope but even more importantly you helped us have belief because we see the strength of your belief and 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 um, your clarity uh your strength of you know, yes, there's devils. <laughs> yes, you know, there's a God. Uh, but, but, uh, but that gives us hope, and that's why I said, Father, to uh, you know, you're going you're, you're gonna to be doing the exorcism and blessing of this water tomorrow night, and a lot of people are going to think, you know, oh, because Father Ripperger did it, mm. um, it, because you have helped us. And uh, the other thing that we talked about too is that, um, you know, when Jesus, you know, was asked to perform a miracle. He'd say, do you believe I can do this? Right. Yeah. Yes, Lord. It was because of your faith that you did this. And that's what you're helping us. And I'm, I can't t tell you how much I I uh, respect, admire, and love uh, your ministry. And everything you've done is you've helped us to say, yes, Lord, when he asks us, mm. do you believe I can do this? And so, again, thank you so much for everything you do and giving us the confidence, the trust, but the belief that actually brings miracles into our lives. Mm. Thank you, Father. Yeah. Thank All you right. very much, Father. Yeah, I appreciate you being with us, Father, so much. It is always good to have you on. And uh, we we always learn something from you. Um, and I love the fact that you're, you're unafraid to call it out clearly that, yeah, there's hope, but we've got stuff to deal with. Right. And we've got we've to toughen up and be ready to deal with it. No yeah. sugarcoating it but also not, not a doom and gloom. So I appreciate that very yeah. much from you. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I'll, I'll just end very briefly with this, people say, you know, people are like running around like chicken, little, the sky is falling, yeah. the sky is falling. And like, this is really bad. This is really bad. And I always tell people, actually, that should be strengthen your faith mm. because we were told these things were going to happen. Right. <laughs> Therefore, we know what they told us is true, right. and that means right. that the 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 glorious future of Our Lady's reign in the future, we right. also therefore know is just as true. Right. So, it's there. Right. Yeah, great point. Great point. Father, could you uh, close us with a blessing? Sure. Yeah. Benedictio Dei Omnipotentis, Patris et Filii et Spiritus et Super Vos et Maniat Semper. Amen. Amen. Thanks, awesome. Well, thank you again very much, Father. Great to have you with us again. Thank you very much.